So not the jealousy of covetousness, but the jealousy of love. A husband loves his wife. And now, if there's an affair, we know that jealousy can be stirred. And that jealousy can be stirred leading to wrath and anger. Right? We can get our jealousy stirred within a marriage. And the Bible is replete with examples of how Israel turns from God like a, a spouse turns from their love, right? And how we can stir God to jealousy. We see it in Deuteronomy. The Israelites stirred God to jealousy. We see Paul in, in the New Testament saying, do you want to stir God to jealousy? You know, for, no, you don't. You don't want to test God and stir his jealousy. A parent... Who, uh, who knows, and we know as parents, we love our children more than they know. We want what's best for them more than they even appreciate. We all know that because we, we share with them what's best and what we want for them. And then when they don't listen, we're like, what, what, who are you listening to? And we can get jealous for our kids to listen to us. Because we love them and we want what's best for them. No, don't follow after the wolves in sheep's clothing. Right? We can get jealous for our children. That's a godly jealousy. And what, what Jesus, what compels Jesus to come to us is that he's jealous for us to know his father. And he truly was. And we're going to look at that. And what I would love to see and what, what causes missions movements around the world is when people become jealous for others to know God. When I'm jealous for my friend James to know God, I will, I'll suffer for James. I'll enter into James' life. I'll help James fix his car. I'll, I'll do things for him because I'm jealous for him to know God. Well, I'm really happy to tell you, James, he's, he knows God. <laughs> but that's what the, a godly jealousy stirs. And what did Christ do in that jealousy for us to know his father? Of course, he suffered for us. He came down and he showed us how we are to share in his suffering for the world and bring a world to him. But where does this come from, this idea of a jealous God? Exodus 34, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. It says, And the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Okay, well, let's stop there for a second. We do know the Lord doesn't clear the guilty, does he? He, he cleanses the guilty, doesn't he, with the blood of Christ. Okay, by no means clearing the guilty. Sin isn't just forgotten as though it never happened. It was paid for by Christ on the cross, thankfully. Okay, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is patient. He doesn't give up on us. He didn't give up on grandpa. He didn't give up on dad. He's not giving up on you. He's patient with you. And he's visiting you even in the midst of your iniquity. If he wasn't able to visit us in the midst of iniquity, he couldn't have come down to earth. He couldn't have become a man because the world is full of iniquity. So he visits us. He's patient with us. What an amazing God. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. 
So Moses is, is having a vision of the Lord at the second giving of the tablets. Okay, remember Moses got the Ten Commandments. He breaks the tablets because Israel's in sin. God says, come back up. I'll rewrite my law on those tablets. Moses spends 40 days with God. He comes down the mountain with these new tablets and the Mo glow. Like he's literally glowing from present, being in God's presence, right? That's what's happening here. And so at the giving of the Ten Commandments, the only person who can really testify to how awesome God is, is God himself. And he comes down and shares who he is, who, his name. And it's really good news, guys. It's super good news. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's abounding in goodness and truth. He's merciful. He's gracious. You guys, who God is, is really, really good news. His name is good news. His name is who he is. So Moses is wise. He makes haste. He bows his head toward the earth, and he worshiped God. Exodus 34, verse 9 then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. The Jews like to say that Moses had chutzpah. You're like, who stands in the presence of such righteousness and such glory and says, hey, even though we're stiff-necked, will you make me your inheritance? That's a big ask, isn't it? <laughs> hey, aren't you glad he asked? And I'll tell you, standing in the presence of God and still being able and free to ask a big thing like that, even though we're stiff-necked, will you make us your inheritance? Even though we're stiff-necked, will you walk and come, come among us? That's a big thing to ask. But something about God's presence allows us to ask big, big things. Even though we're stiff-necked, even though we're stubborn, keep asking big things. And we, we can be thankful that Moses did. Now here, it's really cool. He said, behold, I make a covenant. This is, this is a wonderful response. I, I can't only even imagine the breath Moses took. After God gave this awesome <laughs> response, I can live to breathe another day type of breath. He says, I'm going to go back to verse 9 again. If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin, take us as your inheritance. God replies, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Okay, there's a lot in that verse right there. But please note this. Please note this. He's, he's saying, I will do marvels such as have never been done in the earth, nor in any nation. Note, and all the people among whom you are, everyone around you, Israel, is going to know who I am, the work of the Lord, that, I, that the works that I do are from me. Okay, that's really important. Because we've got to realize this, that God wants, through your life, he wants everyone around you to know there is one true living God, and you know him. And that's what he wants, right? Okay. Now, 
Let's look at his motivation why. He wants to brag. He wants to show off who he is. He says, And you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 34. It's interesting. My Bible says, puts whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God in parentheses. And in... In our writing, we just put things in parentheses. They're not too critical to the sentence, but they do help with a little bit more understanding. You guys, this is a very critical sentence, and, and it's put in parentheses. And I'm not saying it's a bad translation to put it in parentheses. I'm saying that God is so subtle to put one of the most important statements in all the Bible in little parentheses, almost like a side note. It's important that you guys know this is no side note. That God is jealous is no side note. When you, when you pray to God, Lord, I've got this problem. Please take it away from me. That's one prayer, right? When you pray to the Lord, Lord, I've got this problem. Please use it in some way, shape, or form so someone will know who you are through it. That's a whole different way to pray, isn't it? But you're praying in accordance to his jealousy. And that's a powerful prayer. Praying in accordance to God's jealousy, his loving jealousy, is a powerful prayer. Because you're praying in his name. And that's what praying in his name means. It's praying in understanding of who he is. We pray for people to receive healing here, and we have often heard people have complete health recoveries. Once in a while, it's sudden. Often it takes time, and it requires doctors. Once in a while, it's miraculous. Often it requires hospital visits, right, and surgeries. Either way, healing is from the Lord. And God is glorified in the end. And so I want you to approach your problems, your suffering, with the approach of, God, for your name's sake, do something with this. Don't let this happen in vain. Okay, so God is jealous. Look what happens in Numbers 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? Oh boy. Now, this is a little bit after when God said, I will go with you. You're going to see me do mighty things. Now the people have spied out the promised land. And reports come back, and only two guys are cool enough to believe God could take the giants, right? And so now the rest of Israel's rejected the, the thought that God can, can take the promised land. And this is God's reaction. <clears throat> how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? All the signs he, he promised Moses when he said, I will do great things. He said, I will strike them with the pestilence and dis disinherit them. And I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. Numbers 14, 11 through 20. They're testing God. They're rejecting him. They're testing his jealousy, right? What happens? Moses uses the name of God to advocate for Israel. 
And this is huge. This is important. This is praying the name of God and advocating the name of God. This is super important. So, Moses, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Verse 13, And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. So Moses says, well, hold on, Lord. If you destroy us all, the Egyptians are going to wonder what's going on. God said, I'm going to do great things, right? And now the great things have happened. The Egyptians have seen the great things. The others around them have seen the great things. And now in unbelief, in a response to unbelief, provoking God's jealousy... Moses steps in and he advocates for Israel. And this is neat. If you guys are are trying to make a witness, you're trying to make a difference for the Lord, and you're in a place like Moses, and you're starting to wonder, is anyone even noticing? Is what I'm doing being noticed by anybody? I'll tell you what. Israel may not have noticed the pillar after a while or the cloud, you know, by day, but everyone around them did. And this is what Moses says. They have heard, three huge words, who all the people surrounding Israel have heard. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. That you, Lord, are seen face to face. They've heard the rumors. Wow, the Israelites, they they see God face to face. The neighbors are hearing it, guys. What are they hearing about you? Do they know that you know the one true Lord? Do the people surrounding you know? Do they see the evidence of God in you? Are they hearing that you you see God face to face? Are they hearing that you can literally talk to him and he hears you? So they've heard that they see you face to face and your cloud stands above them and you go before them in a pillar in in a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Well, that's not an honest report of who God is, is it? And God doesn't want people to hear a misrepresentation of who he is, does he? So is your life truly rightly representing who God is? Have you positioned yourself in such a way where everybody's literally like, okay, then there's the Christian. I love one of my favorite verses. I don't have any tattoos. Maybe some of you guys do. I'm sure about 18%. No, I don't know. But some of you guys do. And I wanted 2 Chronicles 16, 9a on there. And the guy, like the tattoo guy is like, that's a tattoo in and of itself, dude. And then the, the scripture says, For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro over the whole earth, seeking those to whom he can show himself strong, those whose hearts are loyal to him. That's what the world needs to see. Someone God can show himself strong in. Someone whose heart is loyal to him. That stands out. They're watching. They're they're seeing. God wants them to see him through your life. Okay, so Moses is advocating your reputation is on the line here, Lord. Your name 
is on the line. Okay, then Moses starts quoting scripture back to God, the exact scriptures we just read earlier. He says, and now I pray, verse 17, let the Lord, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Do you, you know, when you cry out to God to pardon you, to forgive your sins, you're crying out to God to do what God does, to, to be merciful, to be who God is, to forgive. You're praying in his name when you do that. So he says, crying out. Pardon the iniquity of this people. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Oh man, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Israel gets to keep going. Okay. How does this apply in life practically? I love this. After he says, I have pardoned according to your word, he says, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It could have looked to Moses like, man, just things just aren't working out. I'm leading these people. They're not listening. They're grumbling. They're, they don't have faith. Nothing. It, Lord, I'm not sure about your plan. You might be feeling that. Whatever you're calling, <laughs> parenting, teaching, whatever you're calling at work, or you're calling in ministry, or you're calling in missions, you can start to feel like, man, I just don't think this is really working. They're not listening to anything I'm saying. I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm not seeing the change. Moses could have said that at this time. A couple million people, we only got a couple that actually believe at this point. How frustrating. And I think God gives Moses an encouraging word here. And he says, hey, the whole earth is going to be filled with my glory. Don't judge what God is going to do based on what you see happening right now. And if you look at the world and the, the craziness that's going on, the, the lies that we're being told, people who know things that aren't true are telling us to join them in believing they are true. And, and it's like, well, you're telling me to believe a lie that I know and you know you know is a lie. Like, how crazy. And so the world can, you can start to look like, well, who's winning here? <laughs> Boy, it looks like the enemy's advancing. Hey, guys, make no mistake. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Right? That's not done. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be glorified in the earth. That's the narrative, right? That's the one that wins. So don't look and judge today's situation based on what you're seeing in the world. And don't judge necessarily your ministry or your calling or your leadership based on the fact that at sometimes no one seems to be listening. <laughs> and don't judge your effectiveness in this world. Don't judge it based on the fact that people aren't calling you every day saying, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? Sometimes it takes a while to see fruit. 
But the world is watching, they are seeing, and they are hearing about who God is. Make no mistake, they truly are. I love working at this church. We see new faces all the time. We hear stories of people coming to faith on radio and all these things. How'd you hear about us? I came, I did community service, and now I'm in school of discipleship, you know? God is still working. But guess what? It's not going to make the news. The world's not going to tell you about, about those people, right? So come to church and hear about it. Be still. God is God. Well, David understood the name of God. And when he took on a Goliath, David had a courage that no one else seemed to have. The, the world was in a stalemate when David showed up to the war. David was challenged by his older brother. Why are you here? Go, go tend to those few sheep that you have. But the world was in a, a stalemate. Goliath was coming out and yelling every, for 40 days, morning and evening, yelling, come on, let's fight. The king offered reward, but the reward wasn't good enough because there, there just wasn't the faith there, was there? But David showed up and he knew something different and he knew the scriptures and he knew this, this Philistine is challenging the name of the one true God. He can't win. Nothing competes with that name. And you guys, you have the advantage. You have the name of God. Don't walk around defeated. You bear his image. You wouldn't believe how important just your smile is. Just saying hi to somebody. Hugging somebody. Dropping the mask once in a while. Literally. <laughs> okay. So God is, God is ready to use you. And he is using you. And people are watching. And they do know that you have a God. And he will show himself strong in your life. Amen? Well, I love it. Here's what I love about Jesus. When he finally, you know, he, he rose and Mary Magdalene was all shook up and she's at the tomb. Let's go to that scripture and close with it. John chapter 20, verse 11, starting in verse 11. We'll close with this. And I want to ask you guys, are you jealous for other people to know the God who's jealous for them? It's a hard statement, but it's so true. The highest form of selfishness is a person content to go to heaven alone. Isn't that true? Can you get a higher form of selfishness? Well, guys, are you content to go to heaven alone? No way. I don't believe it for a second. I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night. <laughs> I, well, thankfully, Jesus wasn't content. To go to heaven alone. Okay, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have, yet, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Can you imagine this moment? Let's just go there for, for a minute. You're Mary Magdalene. Demons have been cast out of you. Luke chapter 8 says that you, you're one of the women who followed Jesus during his ministry, cooked for him, provided for his needs and the disciples' needs with the other women. So, super cool. Uh, uh, the Mary chapter there. <laughs> and then Jesus dies. And you go and you see these angels, and that's still not enough for you. You're still so broken because your Lord is gone. You hear a voice, and now it's Jesus. And what do you want to do? You want to give him a hug, right? You're here. And she appears, and she wants to hug him. And Jesus is like, hold on. I don't imagine Jesus being unapproachable. He certainly isn't unapproachable in Scripture. Okay. And Jesus says, hey, don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to my Father. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a huge statement. But he says, go and tell the brethren, I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He could have said, I'm here. I'm alive. I overcame the grave. I'm here. Mary, give me a hug. We're going to be together forever. Death is done. Eternity is here. He could have said all these awesome claims, but he said something so much greater. He said, my dad is now your dad. And that's why he came. That's the jealousy that caused him to suffer so that his dad could be our dad, right? And that little statement is hidden with an interaction with Mary Magdalene. And it's the biggest statement in the New Testament. My dad is your dad. My father is your father. My God is your God. We need to be jealous for people so that we can say, hey, my God can be your God. My dad can be your dad. Amen? And we just pray that God starts a movement of righteous jealousy once again in our city, in our nation, and in the nations. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just come before you. We thank you. Thank you that you are so great. All good things come from you. We worship you now. All good things come from you. You are loving. You are kind. You are patient. You are generous, you are merciful, you are long-suffering toward us. You've made us your inheritance. And you've caused us to be your children. And so God, I just pray that this group, this audience here would be stirred and renewed in an understanding that all that they're going through in this life, 
the Goliaths, the good times, the hard times, all that they're going through goes through sovereign hands before it comes upon us. And Lord, that you can use all these things to glorify your name. That's what it means to submit to you as Lord. And Lord, we want you to glorify your name through our lives. We commit to you our lives. We, we surrender to you the, the challenges and the battles and the wars. And, and God, we say for your name's sake, will you bring us deliverance? For your name's sake, will you bring us healing? Lord, for your name's sake, will you glorify yourself through our lives? Through Rocky Mountain Calvary, in our city, in, in our county, in our state. Glorify your name. Continue to do what you are doing and what you've always done. Cause sinners to turn to you. Jesus, we pray that we could just tonight have a sweet fellowship and, and Lord, that um, your presence and your word, that your truth would, would find root in our heart, Lord, that it wouldn't be taken away with the cares of the world, but that true and lasting change would happen in our hearts and that our lives would be lived for your name. That everywhere we go, we would have the advantage knowing that you are jealous for people to know your name and you want to use us to get them there. It's such a privilege. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray in your name. Amen.